This week's podcast brought to you by Urinal Cakes. This morning, I brought our kids to school, and it was in negative temperatures outside. After I dropped them at school, I went to the grocery store, did a big grocery shop, came home, unloaded the groceries with your help, when I realized that I had actually left a bag of groceries on the belt at the grocery store, I clearly didn't have that same bagger, the uh, the one who signed his national letter of intent for grocery bagging. That's not true. It was completely my fault. And so I came to your office door, knocked on it, and asked you if you would please go out and get the bag of groceries that I left at the store. Retrieve the meat. And I did that. Thanks for doing that. My pleasure. <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Happy New Year and welcome back to the Ball and Chain podcast. The last time we were talking to everybody, we had our guests, Mike and Christine Golick here. And uh, Mike said he was going to check the air filters, even though we had just had our furnace serviced. So they should have been clean. But of course, if anyone follows us on Twitter, they realize that they indeed were not clean. It was hard for me to feign outrage because I didn't know they needed to be cleaned at all. So I can't pretend that the furnace guy not servicing them bothered me because I didn't know they existed. So Mike went into our the room where our HVAC is. He took out the air filter, which was absolutely filthy. It was hideous, disgusting, dirty, probably hadn't been changed in what, 10 years? Uh, the 14 years we've lived here, whatever it is now. So I, I had at some point in the last 10 years purchased a spare filter or a new filter. So he was able to use that one. We still have to replace, we have a two zone heating in our house. So we still have to replace the filter that is up in the attic. But fortunately, I took video of Mike the whole time he was doing this, uh, changing the filter so that all we have to do is look back on the video and then we will, or you will, know how to change the filter. It's sad that we have to look at the video since I did it along with him. I just have no memory of what the hell we did. My, my favorite thing was I said to Chris Golick, as we're watching the two of you, I said, when it's time for our son to learn how to change filters, I will just show him the video of Mike doing it because undoubtedly you won't be able to teach him how. In the same way that you taught me how to drive a stick in the high school parking lot, he'll learn how to do routine home maintenance from watching videos of other people doing it in our house. The one thing that you learned how to do kind of early on in our marriage was deal with mice. You claim that as a kid growing up, even though you grew up in the suburbs, you did not grow up in the city, you claim that you never had a mouse. It's not in a your claim. It, it's a it's a true. Well I can't I can't there's just no way that can possibly be true because out here in the country we find mice in trap well we, we set traps so that the mice in our basement can be removed from the basement and it's a constant thing and and I remember it was I was pregnant with our first daughter she was born on Christmas day I was pregnant with her very pregnant and my mother had come over along with my sister and we'd made batches and batches of Christmas cookies and um, this is back in 2004 
and I left them out on the counter overnight. And I just remember coming downstairs and one of the trays of gingerbread men that have, you know, like raisins for the eyes and walnuts for the buttons down the front of him. Anyway, I remember looking and honestly, my first thought was, why would Steve just take the raisin eyes? Why would he just eat the raisin eyes and leave the cookie? Knowing, of course, that you don't even like raisins. And then I looked a little bit further and saw nibbles and I realized that it wasn't you, that a mouse had found its way into our kitchen and eaten some of the Christmas cookies. And the worst part of it for me was that I had to throw away dozens and dozens of Christmas cookies because it would have been gross. Although I probably could have just thrown away the top layer and passed the other ones off on to neighbors. But anyway, you were just kind of floored by that and freaked out by that. And so my dad came over and set a, a mouse trap. May I interrupt for a moment? Of course. Our house had been built on spec, so it had been unoccupied for close to a year. So whatever was living in the house, it wasn't little mice. They were growing fat on whatever they could whatever they could gather. They were living in the house and had been for a year. These weren't little mice. No, that, they're that... not living in the house. They come, they find the little, they just need a little tiny hole to get into your house. They need a little tiny part of the foundation or whatever. They don't come in in the summertime. They just came in when the weather got There cold. was a mouse superhighway running up the <laughs> shingles. There was, there was. The guy who came to look at it described it to me that way. It was an autobahn for rodents and it just required some spray foam and some uh, stuffing. Well, I do remember that you went and bought spray foam and you went into all the parts of the garage and the basement that you could find that a mouse potentially could get in the house and you filled all those with spray foam. But you were like ridiculously freaked out by by the idea of a mouse or two in our house. It didn't bother me at all because I remember as a kid on occasion, my dad would go to the basement and bring up the the trap that had the dead mouse in it. But anyway, so we told him. May I interrupt for a moment? (laughs) This is absolute nonsense. I'm the one who cleans out the, the mouse traps. You you don't want to look at them. If I were to run after you with one of them, you would go screaming oh, and yelling eek and jumping up onto the curtains like Scooby-Doo. It's the one thing that completely disgusts me. But uh, but it doesn't let's, bother you. Let's go it doesn't back. bother you that somebody else removes no, mice from your house. No, well, of course that doesn't bother you. Why would that bother, bother me? You? The knowledge that on occasion a mouse is going to get into our basement and somebody else is going to have to remove it. But... Going back to this time when I'm completely, you know, just big bellied because I'm very near about to have our daughter, super pregnant. So my dad came over and set a mousetrap. And I don't know what he was thinking, but he put the mousetrap in the kitchen. In front of the fridge. In front of the fridge. Right where he walked into the house. (laughs) So I remember being over at my parents' house. They didn't, they lived about 10 minutes away. Coming back and you were the first one to come into the house and there was a mouse in the trap and you were completely freaked out. No, by that. there was there was there was a huge, <laughs> no. huge guinea pig sized mouse <laughs> belly up in the trap with its arms splayed out. Okay? In front of our fridge. Was and it, first of all, your was dad was so your, your dad was so casual about it. He came over with a knife and some peanut butter as if he were uh, peanut buttering up a sandwich, right. a piece of bread. He just slapped it on the thing, and then he'd throw it down and, wherever. He threw them down all over the house. And set the trap. We uh, came home to a dark house. We turned on the lights in the kitchen, and there was a crime scene right. on our kitchen floor. Of course, it would startle it. anybody. But but it was maybe a few days after that. We At this point, the, my dad had just set the traps in the basement. There were no more, more traps on our, our first floor. We came into the house. You went into the living room to plug in the Christmas tree. And back then, we used to, as one of the decorations on the Christmas tree, we used to hang up candy canes on the tree. Anyway, you went into the living room. You were plugging in the tree. And I'm in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, I just hear like, rustle, rustle, rustle. And then I hear you scream. 
and I come around the corner and you were standing with one foot on the arm of the armchair and one foot on the arm of the couch straddling it because you thought that the sound was made by a mouse. There was a mouse rocketing through the the branches of of the Christmas tree. Of course, the sound was when you plugged the lights into the Christmas tree, one of the candy canes had fallen off the tree. So... Will you talk about emasculation? Um, we didn't talk about emasculation. Well, let's talk about emasculation. Who's talking about emasculation? Because when I looked at that, not only were you straddling the chair and the couch, afraid of this mouse, I was nine months pregnant, about to give birth to our daughter, and you're terrified of the idea of a mouse. And then just to continue this story a little bit further, you had uh, gotten uh, an iPad or maybe um, an iPod or some sort of listening device. Maybe it was still one of those yellow CD players. I don't know. But a listening device? Listening was, device. Yes. But you, I remember you being in bed and you had earphones in. You had your earbuds in and you said to me, I'm listening to the earbuds so that I don't hear the mice. You were convinced. They were in the walls. You were they convinced. absolutely were in the walls. <laughs> they were not They in the were walls. in the walls. And then... And then my favorite of all time was, once again, I think it might have been that same night, maybe you took your earbuds out and you just said to me, I cannot wait for our baby girl to be born. And I remember thinking at the time, this could be like the sweetest thing he's ever said to me. I cannot wait for our baby girl to be born. Then you paused and it was, if for no other reason, to to take my mind off the mic. Well, it it took a long time to get my mind off the mice. Now I don't care. Now I welcome them. Yeah, right. You you dare them to come in the house. Uh, well, you do. You'll come to the basement and you'll find the traps. Often I will have found the traps because I spend more time in the basement than you do. And I'll just come up and tell you, you've got to go get the get the mouse out of the basement. And unfortunately, as you've pointed out to me, I do that more often than not when you're eating a meal. <laughs> but anyway, this I think I had told you about this. It, this was, I don't know how many years ago. I had come downstairs because when I work out, sometimes I work out in our basement. And I put my shoe on. And as I'm tying my shoes, I leave in the basement, my sneakers that I work out in. And I, as I was tying the lace of my shoe, as I was tying it, I look and realize there's a mouse stuck in the laces and it was alive. So I took the shoe off and flung it over to the side of the house. I had to run upstairs so I could turn the alarm off because this was early in the morning. Came back downstairs, opened up the slider of our basement and threw the shoe outside <laughs> because I didn't know what else to do. There was this little mouse stuck in the laces of my shoes. My hands were right there. Ooh, I still have, I still, when I come to the basement and tie my shoe, I check first to make sure that there's not a mouse stuck in the laces. You paint a lovely portrait of our of vermin-infested home, home with filthy air filters, but our disease-riddled house. I think most people, most people who live in the country have field mice that come into their basement in, when the weather gets cold and, and then they leave or you catch them or whatever. But that's why I can't believe that there you never will have to ask your father about because this. Because we didn't live in the country, for one thing. You were country enough. No, we weren't. What are you talking about? I lived in a city of 85,000 people, a, a suburb of a... With a, a park across the street. There had to be nothing. To, we had snakes, garter snakes. I probably have talked about this before, but we found one in the basement one time. My mom found one, put a bucket over it, duct taped it to the basement concrete floor and waited for my dad to come home. Then he had to slide an REO Speedwagon album under the bucket and take this claustrophobic, enraged snake across the street to the marsh and let it go there. Well, this is probably why you didn't have mice. Do garter snakes no, eat th- mice? No, we had one snake. 
I'm saying, the, but there were snakes around your property. They were probably eating the mice. Well, let's not argue about whether or not we had mice. We didn't. <laughs> we, that's we, the end of that. We have mice now, and that's uh, that's very that few really mice. Very few mice. Am I right? We well oh well we have enough to fill the traps and this this is a point I was going to make is no that we don't have we have about forty traps and we have a, every few months we have two mice have small mice, mice mouse traps well, to take out. I don't know why you're getting upset about not this. It's upset. not a personal affront that your expanding foam didn't work. But one thing that's different between you and my dad when you talk about slapping on the peanut butter of the mouse trap. <laughs> let to be clear. Talk about emasculation. <laughs> you're saying my expanding foam didn't work. <laughs> Is when we find a trap that has a mouse in it, you throw it away, the trap and all. My dad used to take the mouse out of the trap, discard of the mouse, but then reuse the trap, which of course you can. It's just you choose not to. Because you're not you're not crazy. <laughs> well, since we're sort of talking about being emasculated with air filters and mice, one of my favorite stories, because you you will admit that you are not a car mechanic, and neither am I. I have no idea how to change uh, oil. I probably could figure out how to change a tire if I have to. I do know how to put air in the tire when that light comes on in the car, but neither of us are yes, very I, I, good at car, car maintenance. I'm not a car mechanic, nor am I an airline pilot, nor am I a structural engineer. I'm none of those things. I'm only one thing. And therefore, I'm not any of those other things. Well, but lots of people are whatever they do for a living and can still change their oil or change a tire or do a variety of other things. It doesn't make them a mechanic, but they can do those things. But what I'm thinking of I can. is there was <laughs> you can or you can't. I cannot. You cannot. Your brain doesn't allow it. There was one time when we were in West Hartford and people in in Connecticut might understand when we talk about Blueback Square. It's a shopping area where there is curbside parking. And once you parked the car and I went into a kid's shoe store because all of our kids needed shoes for school, or at least the older ones did. And you stayed in the car with how many of our children? None. None. So I went into the shoe store. You said you would be out in five or 10 minutes. So I left the radio on as... As you would do. And any person who's been shoe shopping with their little kids understands it can be a chore. The store was busy trying to get them to try stuff on once they chose it. And this wasn't the store where you could just grab a a box of shoes and try on the shoe. You had to send the person into the back to find the size. Anyway, it was a whole process that was not pleasant for me as the one helping them with their shoes. Now, you were sitting in the car. It probably was pleasant listening to the radio maybe Ario Speedwagon, thinking of your dad in snakes. I don't know. But how long did I end up being in the shoe 45 store? 45 minutes. So you had 45 minutes of bliss, at which point when... The, we, the AC may have been blasting also. <laughs> the AC blasting, the radio going, the car not on, but the engine was, or not, the engine was not, the battery was. And so when we came out, the car couldn't start because it was dead. And we didn't know anybody to just ask them, you know, to help jumpstart the car. It wasn't a place where you, you everybody was parallel parked on the right. street at parking meters. It was not a place where you could reverse the car and, and jumpstart it. Right. So we called AAA. We have AAA. So we said, let's use it. And we called AAA. I took at least a couple of the kids to a store next to the shoe store, which was, I don't know, like a dollar store, just to kill time to keep their mind off of what was going on. When the AAA guy came to jumpstart the battery 
And which one of our daughters, one of our daughters was in the car with you at this point. I think it was our second oldest. The AAA truck pulled up. A young man got out with the jumper cables. He asked me to pop the hood. I said, sure. And I hit the button and popped the tailgate. And he looked at me with contempt and mild embarrassment for me. And I said, hold on a second, hold on a second. And I pushed the button to close the tailgate. And I searched some more for the hood release. I remembered that it wasn't a button. It was a thing you had to pull. And eventually, after turning on the various wipers and hazards and things, I I found the hood release and released the hood. At which time our daughter said, with great delight, I didn't know that end could open also. (laughs) And that's when this young man from AAA made eye contact with me and looked at me like, you've got to be kidding me, buddy. (laughs) Yes, our daughter had never seen the hood of a car, at least of our car, opened, just the uh, tailgate of the minivan. So that is the extent of our ability to to do anything with the car. How long would it take you now if you needed to pop the hood to find the the release to do that. Would it take you a while? If I had to pop the hood, I'd just call AAA. <laughs> but uh... we, we have, though, helped our babysitter once. Her car, the, the um, battery died, and we were able to use jumper cables to help her. Of course, while we were doing it, we were watching a YouTube video on how to use jumper cables and to jumpstart a car. But it worked. It was, it was a success. I had to jumpstart a guy's car at a Little League baseball game this summer, he asked me to help jumpstart his car in a driving rainstorm when it started to lightning. And, and where he had parked under a tree in, in low-lying ground, it had filled, flooded, filled with water. So I was standing in shin-deep water under a tree in lightning in a downpour holding up the jumper cables as if I'm you know, young Frankenstein. I'm about to get zapped and turn into some, it was like a superhero origin story. I was going to become a mechanic man or something. <laughs> I was going to be killed if it was going to happen. And and at some point I thought, why am I doing this? Why isn't he calling AAA or why aren't I calling AAA for him? Why are we doing this? But there's this, there's this pressure to feel like, and of course we both have phones out and are looking at YouTube videos on how to jumpstart a car. And, uh, but there's this pressure to feel like, you know, you know how to jumpstart a car. You know how to change a flat. You know how to change your air filters. It wasn't just that. When 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 the Golics came over and pulled into our driveway, Mike got out of the car, and our our dog was in the driveway and ran up to him. And Mike grabbed him and started, you know, wrestling with him and and playing her. with him. Our dogs are her. Our dogs are her. Yes, our dog okay. is a she. <laughs> well, this proves my point. Uh, <laughs> something that I don't do. Or haven't done nearly enough, I'm told. Yeah, he's like letting the dog lick his face. He was just becoming... Yeah, he's like shadow like, boxing with the dog, yeah. chucking it on the chin. And and, and um, so it, there's a lot of that in my life. You and I both were without the dog, our she-dog, Jesse, for about a week over the holidays. We went down to Florida to spend the week with your dad and your siblings, which we which we like to do. And the weather was lovely, a lot nicer than it has been here in freezing cold Connecticut. But anyway, you were without the dog. There was, which you kind of, that's one of your favorite parts of vacation is just the fact that you aren't around Could we just say the dog that, that we love so much. You mentioned that the dog's name is Jesse. It's a gender neutral name. I, I can be forgiven for not knowing its gender. How long have we had the dog? 
Four years. We've had the dog for four years. You can't be forgiven. That tells you how often you've you've rubbed the dog's belly as she's like had her leg in that rotation that they do when you're when you're rubbing the dog's belly. Perhaps so anyway, the dog had been emasculated. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. So anyway, we had the joy of flying down as a family. Actually, the the trip went off pretty well. We were delayed out of Hartford to get to Florida. And we're on Southwest Airlines, so we can choose our seats. And as we like to do, I'm glad, I, you, I'm glad you didn't say pick our seats. <laughs> right there, you go. I was sitting uh, with our two youngest children, while you sit with the two older ones, the ones that require absolutely no care and feeding. They just read or watch something on their iPad the whole time. And I'm with the two little ones who actually our son's pretty good, but our seven-year-old daughter is still pretty um, flying with our older ones in is like, need of, of help and attention. Flying with our older ones is like flying next to two adults and their elbows encroach on my seat space and all that. So I think you got the better end of the bargain. The younger ones sit there on, on headphones and watch videos the whole flight. Except, but go on, except go when on. The, except when the seven-year-old wants to sleep and then she, you, know, you put the armrest up and she uses me as a pillow, which I absolutely welcome. I, do, I, I enjoy that. But you can, know, can the I, amount I just, that, that they need to go to the bathroom or that, that our little one tells me she's thirsty and I have to pour the water might, down Might I just inject a dose of reality here? Yes, please. The seven-year-old was sitting across the aisle from me. Whenever she needed something, she looked to you. You had headphones on and were watching a video. She that would then turn to me, never wore headphones, never watched a video, read book the whole time. She would then tug on my sleeve and ask for something. And then I would get it for her. Whenever she needed to use the bathroom, I took her to the bathroom because I was on the aisle and you were in the middle. So go on. I think, I think there's an element of truth into both of no, what you no, and I are no, saying. This is... <laughs> anyway, there were some things about vacation that um, you especially love, and one of them is when we stay at a hotel. We stay at a hotel n- near your dad's place. Your brother, your brothers stay there with their families as well, and it's a hotel where uh, it's a suites kind of a hotel, and when you in the lobby every morning, they serve a buffet breakfast. And you are one of the people who hate buffet, buffets in general, but especially the free breakfast buffet at a hotel. Why is that? Well, I, I just don't like fighting for food first thing in the morning, as if it's some kind of primal uh, survival experience. But that's just me. Go on. <laughs> well, it's, it's crowded at the holidays, as you would expect. The, the breakfast buffet is a small little kitchenette area. My favorite part of it, and the kids' favorite part of it, is the waffle maker. They have a single waffle maker into which you pour a little cup of batter, and you turn it over and wait two minutes until it beeps. All the instructions are there. It takes two minutes. It will beep, and then your waffle will be done. Well, when the line is eight people long, as it was the first morning, and it's two minutes per waffle... You can do the math on that. You'll be waiting 16 minutes for a waffle. Well, but think about it. If you were at a restaurant, you'd easily wait 16 minutes from the time you placed your order to the time you received your order. Enjoying witty repartee with the person across the table from me. You're not there in this scenario. You're there. And, and, uh, but I was at the front of that line. I was, but I was making waffles for three kids. So that's a six minutes right now as, as I feel the eyeballs of the people behind me staring holes through me. One person got out of line and just went to the waffle topping bar and filled her plate with waffle toppings, by which I mean ready whip, chocolate chips, and maple syrup. 
And then when you finally do get your food, all of the seats have been taken. There's nowhere to sit. So a couple mornings, our kids uh, got their food. We let them go down on their own as well. They would get their food and then 16 minutes later or whatever it was, they'd knock on the door and bring their breakfast plates and everything else up to our room where we did have a little tiny table where they could sit and enjoy their breakfast. But that's fine. I mean, that that's fine. I just, so much of vacation is spent jockeying for a position, whether to board the plane or to board the bus to the rental car or to board the bus to the offsite parking at the airport, that when I finally get to where I'm going, I don't also like to jockey for position for a waffle. Well, that's fair enough. That makes me think of one time I was staying at a similar kind of hotel. I might have been in Vancouver or Seattle or I don't even remember why I was there. And they also, in the evening, had like a happy hour from 5.30 to 7.30. And I remember going down and this woman was showing me how, you know, while the red wine that they served there wasn't very good, it wasn't up to her standards, that if you mixed it in a one-to-one ratio with Coca-Cola, it was pretty good. That became up to her standards. That made it up to her standards. Coca-Cola mixed with the hotel's red wine. So I did take a sip. It wasn't awful. But, uh, but yeah, so it's a nice speedball of of the red <laughs> wine makes you drowsy, and the coke lifts you up, and plenty of sugar for uh, for all involved. Yeah, these but are the things you learn at the finer establishments. The other thing I loved about this hotel, and we've stayed at this hotel seven or eight times now, is it's built around a central courtyard with a swimming pool in it, and because I was sleeping on a pullout couch in this hotel room uh, and and it was it was really a medieval torture device this this couch even our 9-year-old son mildly complained of lower back pain in the morning he was sleeping next to me on this pullout couch i was sharing a pullout couch i would often be awake at odd hours like 2 a.m. 4 a.m. and so Those i Those are actually even hours but go ahead <laughs> God, that was a good one there I'm proud of you. That was really good. Okay. So okay. you're up at you're up at all odd hours. <laughs> I was up at I was up at even hours. And I would hear when the music, the ambient music that they would play poolside of this little pool in the courtyard, when it would come on. And as a, for instance, I one morning I was up at six fifteen and I heard the music is fairly loud. I heard it come on, and it was No Rain by Blind Melon. The next morning, our last morning there, I was up at 5.13 when, again, Blind Melon's No Rain came on poolside. So it's the same playlist that they start every day with the same playlist. playlist. Do they really think people at 5.13 in the morning, I mean, and I'm as big a Blind Melon fan as the next guy, but... Well, the, the thing that happens now that we have four kids is if we're in a, a normal hotel, a non-suites kind of a hotel, like an embassy suites or whatever, is we would have to get two rooms because they don't, law doesn't allow you to sleep six people in one, one hotel room. But this was kind of a suites situation. But my favorite part is that there was the room that had the double bed. And then there was another room that had two double beds. But a couple our size, you're 6'5", I'm 6'4", we can't fit 
in a double bed together. So I'm sleeping with our seven-year-old and you're sleeping with our son on the pull-out couch, but even sleeping with our seven-year-old, like she is all over the place. It's hard to get a good night's sleep with a kid that age. She, you know, her legs are kicking me. She's smacking me in the face. And this was when she was still awake. Yeah, right. So I, I did win out on that one. You totally took one for the team by taking the pull-out couch. And I'm not meaning to say this in any way as a complaint. We have a great time when we're down there visiting your dad and your brothers. It's a phenomenal time. But it is, you know, the challenges of trying to sleep comfortably when you have as many kids as we have in um, in that type of a, a bedroom setting. I think both of us have crashed on enough floors and whatnot in our oh, lifetime. Enough red that eye flights. It still beats red the eye heck flights. Out of a whatever that flight. that yeah. it doesn't really bother us, and we've come to accept that as part of vacation. One morning, you and I were walking out of the hotel, uh, letting the kids sleep in, hang out, whatever, and uh, the gentleman was wa- also walking out a different door of the hotel. We were going to go for a run, and he asked you if you were you. Right. And I said, yes, I am. (laughs) You did confirm that you were, in fact, you. I did. And then he he was talking about the fact that he was down there with um, a couple of his daughters were soccer players, but he was there because his older daughter was playing in a high school basketball tournament. He looked like a basketball player. What would you say? He was 6'10", super fit, uh, athletic looking guy. And um, and so, you know, after we have this conversation, you said to him, were you a basketball player? Well, no, I didn't say. I, I was certain that he was a basketball yeah. player. He was coaching his daughter in basketball. He was six six ten and in great shape. And I said, all I said was, "What about you?" He talked about his daughter playing. Right, and I said, right. "What about you?" And he said, very, um, uh, very self-effacingly, "I played at uh, the University of Kentucky in the early nineties." <laughs> to which I said. I've heard of that program. Right. <laughs> and then we went about our way. But he never told us his name. I should have said to him, you know, what what is your name? It was but... not it was not difficult to figure out who he was. Right. And uh You went to the Google. Only to confirm my suspicions that he was uh, part of the fabled greatest college game of all time, Duke, Kentucky in nineteen ninety two in the region final. And he had he was a freshman, and he had been stepped on famously, quite famously, by Christian Leitner, who got teed up in that game and then went on, of course, to win the game with a great shot at the end of the game. So Aminu Timberlake, Kentucky freshman, the guy who 23 or 4 years later, Christian Leitner would apologize to for having stepped on him in that game. It took 20-something years for Christian Leitner to apologize? I'm not. Don't ask me. Yeah. Okay. I believe so. And uh, Leitner also went ten for ten in that game, from the field and from the line. And that reminds me that this past week was it Gabby Williams of UConn. Yes. Went ten for ten in the game. Yes. Again on their New Year's Eve game. Narrowly missing, tying your record. You went eleven for eleven, right, and hold the. Yeah, I only know that because they, the UConn women's basketball tweeted that. They, you only know that you went 11 for 11? Yes, I only, the only... Were you not there at the time? The only, Are you I don't, you? I don't remember that. The only reason I knew that... You weren't, you weren't concerned with stats, right? <laughs> no, You never not looked at the score sheet. No, I had, if somebody had asked me who has the record for most makes without a miss at UConn, I would have no idea it was me. The only reason I know is because UConn tweeted about it. 
And it was a game that was right near Christmas of my senior year in 1994. So do the math. That's 23 years. But my challenge, I sent, I, I sent out a tweet. I, I would hope that that record will be broken at some point in the near future because 23 years is far too long for any kind of a record at UConn to still exist. And, and I will hope it's not broken because I don't want to have to deal with the aftermath of the bitter rage that you fly into, the, the, the dish tossing. and On December 31st, when, when she didn't break the record, that I popped my bottle of champagne. I was the Miami Dolphins. Yes, you are a one Miami. More year, yes, one yes. more year, my record has yes. survived. That record that I didn't know existed. Right. It is. Survives yes, to this day. Exactly. While we were sitting by the, the pool at the hotel, this was not at five something in the morning and who was the band blind melon blind melon. not to be not to be confused for the great bluesman blind lemon <laughs> so there was that music it's not was lemon not, head it's yeah, the lemon heads either way i don't listen to them so um i, I don't think there's any music playing get your early 90s alternative acts <laughs> straight please we were uh i was busier in, in the early 90s but we were we were sitting poolside and your brother tom brought up a gadget that uh, I had never heard of, never knew existed. And he had either seen it or seen a picture of it. And it was a back shaver. <laughs> and, and, and how this subject could have come up poolside right. at a hotel in Florida, <laughs> God knows? only knows. But he brought up that he had seen one of these things or seen a picture of one. And it just got me thinking about things that you don't even know exist until you see them or someone brings it up. So I have since Googled it and have seen images. Is not a razor? Well, you can get either the razor version or you can get the electric razor version, but they sell them at Walmart. I'm going to post pictures of it on our on our Instagram, and also I'll post pictures of it on our Twitter handle, Ball and Chain Pod. I, um, I picture somebody in a pith helmet and landscaping right. <laughs> uh, uh, clothes, so it's, like, like they're trimming a tree. It's like a razor, but it's much wider, and it comes on a really long handle, kind of like a squeegee, so that you can, you can shave your own back. You can... <laughs> reach behind your shoulder and move the thing up and down and shave your back which to me the razor version sounds ridiculously dangerous because it's got to be hard enough how do you you can't even really put shaving cream on your own back I'm like reaching back there right now and there's so many parts that that don't reach but like you've at least when I reach behind and feel my back and hopefully people if they're listening to this and not driving will do the same thing like I can feel each of my vertebrae like I would think that would be a speed bump for this thing but if you are if you are driving I think you could pull up to an intersection outside the Holland Tunnel at least in the 1980s and have a guy with one of those things (laughs) uh, squeegee your back for you and then kind of plunge it into a bucket full of uh, hairy water. And, and then, then you'd, you'd have, have to, to tip, tip the guy what? a couple of bucks. Yes. <laughs> you'd have to tip him a lot. So there's the version that's the razor blade. And then there's also a version, I believe I also saw on walmart.com, that is the electric one, which to me seems a lot safer. Like it's sort of was probably like a razor slash massager because, I mean, you've used an electric razor before on your face. Like do those are sort of no, massaging. No, no, I, I don't they? use, no, 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 no. I, I, I use the, the highest caliber, sharpest uh, blade Mach that 12. that a Mach Twelve that okay. that Gillette can manufacture. Well, um, well, let me let me finish though on this on this on this back. And, and and I assure you, it does not feel like a massage this, for my face. This, it's just scraping. Well, it's because we have talked a few times, including in our last podcast, about being a good or bad gift giver. I will say this: if you're a man 
who asks his wife to shave his back. You are not one of those. I'm not implying that at all, but it just got me thinking. If if you're the if you're a guy who needs his back shaved and you have your wife do it, that wouldn't be a horrible Mother's Day gift or birthday gift or Christmas gift because you are telling her, look at this I got for myself. You are now free from the job of shaving my back. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> that would be a good endorsement. I should work on that. I want to be the person who endorses the uh, the self back shaver. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> it's the kind of ad that runs on those. On uh, ESPN. Those, yes. it, that would that would run late night. No, it wouldn't on be late NBA night. TV. It would be it would be on NBA TV during a WNBA game, or it would be on ESPN. You or SEC Network during a, a women's basketball game. And, uh, but I, so I should appropriately be their spokesperson. <laughs> Boy, what a dream that would be. <laughs> Aren't you married to the lady who advertises the... Uh... The back shaver, the self-back shaver. But also, so things that you don't know exist. You had taken our son to use the restroom at the airport on before we flew home from Florida and you came out and in conversation just said something about you know how there's a high urinal and a low urinal I said no I have absolutely no idea that urinals come in sizes like I've not been in a men's restroom so in um, years yeah right I I've the only time I've ever been in a restroom that had a urinal was when I was playing with the New York Liberty we would use the locker room. This is before Madison Square Garden was done. So um, was redone in the last few years. We would use the locker room that the Knicks used in the in the regular basketball season in the wintertime. And I actually had Patrick Ewing's locker, which was uh, had been cleared out except for a pair of knee pads that were still like in the, you could lift the seat of the locker and there was a storage part below. I thought you were yeah. going to say a back shaver. Yeah, Exactly. So, but anyway, obviously in, in their, in the restroom that's attached to the locker room, there were urinals in there because, you know, it was the next locker room. But of course they didn't have sizes. They just had normal men's urinals. So well, I didn't they know. should have had John Starks yeah, and Patrick Ewing. Right, exactly. So I didn't know that public restrooms had smaller urinals for little boys. Well, of course they do. And our son, God bless him, always refuses to use the low, the kid's urinal. And always goes to the to the higher urinal. Just like your brother refuses to hug, hug low. low. And, and I'll tell you this. Several years ago, the last season that the Giants played at Giants Stadium before they moved into MetLife Stadium, your dad and I, your dad's a big Giants fan, your dad and I. You're talking about the football Giants. The New York football Giants, yes. yes. Yeah, the, the San Francisco Giants do not play at Giants Stadium in, okay. in New Jersey, okay. just to clarify. But uh, your dad and I and uh, your brother and our brother-in-law went to Giants game, Giants Stadium. We got there just before kickoff. We went into the men's room. There were long lines at the bank of urinals, and people were getting anxious because they wanted to be in their seats for kickoff. And so people were agitating for the people ahead of them in line at the urinal to, to hurry it up. I mean, that's how that's how it is in the men's room at, at Giants Stadium or how it was. And at the head of my line was a little kid who was on his tiptoes straining to use the regular size urinal. And when some meathead in one of the other lines saw this, he said, come on, kid, you can do it. And the kid got up on his tiptoes and 
was able to relieve himself in this urinal. How old would you say the kid was? Six, okay. seven. <laughs> and people were then cheering for him as, as he completed his act. And he got high fives and, uh, well, I mean, by definition, a standing ovation as he left. And I thought that kid will, will never forget that moment. And that's a moment that you will never experience. A woman will never experience. A girl will never experience in a restroom. You will never get high fived and cheered on for relieving yourself. I told that story shortly after to somebody who had grown up in New York. And that person told me that their first experience using the urinal was at Yankee Stadium when he was of a similar age. And just before it was his turn in line to step up to the urinal, the guy behind him, a stranger, slapped him on the back and said, don't eat the mint, kid. (laughs) And I only now know what that means because one time, I don't know how many years ago this was, and I don't know what context it would have come up in, but you said something to me about the, the urinal cake. I said, what are you talking about? What is a urinal cake? And you then explained to me that, well, because there are women out there listening, I'm sure, who no, don't there, know there, what, there, there what are is. no women listening who don't know what a urinal mint or a urinal cake is. Uh, I wouldn't have known five years ago what a urinal cake was until you explained it to me. How do, like, women don't just know about urinals and the cakes that go in them. Well, I, I've never been in a women's bathroom, despite my emasculation. And so I don't know what goes on there. I've heard there's sometimes a couch in there. At a country club, maybe, but not usually. Not usually? No. No. There's a changing table for infants, and there's toilets, and there's sinks. And the toilets, unlike urinals, are all the same size. There's not like one lower toilet for the little kid. There's not a higher toilet for someone like me. I mean, you, you said that before as if, well, of course there's a smaller urinal for kids in a public restroom. Well... Of course. Do, I don't do, know. It's not something I've given a do, lot of thought to. Have you been in a women's bathroom or locker room in a country club? Because you mentioned country clubs. Do they have the uh, combs floating in the blue barbicide, adrift no, in barbicide? they'll have mints. They'll have a basket that has feminine hygiene products in it. And most uncomfortably sometimes, and I don't know if this is still the case, but it always kind of baffled me when I would fly through the Charlotte airport that the ladies' rooms in the Charlotte airport would have an attendant in them. And she would hand you the towel after you washed your hands. She would rip off the paper towel and hand it to you, and there'd be a little tip jar. Yes, that Um, happens in men's rooms as well. But if it's uncomfortable for you, imagine how uncomfortable it is for the bathroom attendant. That is a a, a a, hard gig. I mean, you expect it when you go to some restaurants that there might be an attendant or if you're at a country club or something like that. This is the Charlotte Airport bathroom. It just seemed what struck me is what an odd place it is to have a bathroom attendant is in a, uh, an airport restroom. Speaking of airport restrooms, you had a lovely moment in the airport restroom when we returned uh, from our trip. Yeah, I brought our, our seven-year-old daughter in, got off the plane, and she was ready to burst. We came out of the stall, no applause, no high fives, but a woman stopped me, and I would say she was probably in her mid-20s, and she just said, I wanted to tell you, she said, my grandmother huge women's basketball fan, UConn fan, she said, but she has dementia. So she said, every time she watches the UConn women, she's still rooting for you. She's still cheering for you. That just touched my heart. What a sweet thing. I mean, obviously, we I've had dementia in, when my grandmother who passed away a couple months ago had dementia. And um, so I understand the struggles of it. But the thought of this woman's grandmother watching the UConn women and still thinking I'm playing 20 plus years later, 
just touched my heart. And it was, I thought, a sweet moment. Nobody has ever touched my heart nor anything else in the men's room. <laughs> it's a place, I think, of much less conversation well, and since, uh, sentiment. Since you grew up going to Catholic schools, I'm glad to hear that. That's, that's uh, a low entirely blow, uncalled for. And now on to viewer mail, our weekly mailbag of tricks from the people who send us responses on Twitter or elsewhere. And but, again, viewer mail is an homage to 1980s David Letterman. Don't write to say that we're listeners, not viewers. Right. So listener slash viewer mail. The first one is from Ken Dunphy. K.J. Dunphy, a distant relative of Phil Dunphy from Modern Family, perhaps. Has a lot of relatives. And he was talking about our podcast with Christine and Mike Golick. And he said, I really liked the youth coaching talk. I once coached that MLB pitcher's kid. He came to practice one day after shutting out the Cardinals. He asked if he could throw batting practice. I told him, I'm an IT manager. You are an MLB player. Absolutely. Good self-awareness I there. love that. Rod Carew's son, Devin, once told me that um, he'd be at the batting cages in Southern California as a, as a kid, and he'd be getting unsolicited advice from various passersby, oblivious to, and really not caring that his father, also standing at the cage, won uh, seven AL batting titles. Well, we've also had some feedback from people saying our audio isn't always stellar quality and i want people to know we are constantly working on that we are aware of that we think we've gotten the problem solved but um, but there's only so much we can do about my voice <laughs> steve's voice the content all of it but we think we've gotten any audio issues you may be experiencing resolved so hopefully that is the case we don't actually know that but we're we're hoping we well, work on it well, every week we are working on it every week but um until next week Let's be played out. Not by, by not by the lemonheads. The lemonheads or melonhead. Blind melon. Blind melon. Why? Melon why? What's head, my yes. block with I that? Know. I don't know. But it's I very do confusing know. because there was a blind lemon, great blues musician, and blind melon. The '90s band named themselves after that, but that's neither here nor there. And then the lemonheads, but but none of them sing our podcast song. That is from Tom, Dick, and Harry. So guys, please play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.